Why would Jesus refer to himself as a lowly shepherd? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. So, Brian, today we are continuing our journey through Jesus' ministry on earth while he was in human form and every other thing that we want to say about him, including still being God while in human <laughs> form, but also being 100% man and 100% God. Did I cover everything today? I, I think so, but we'll probably okay, still... Good. We'll probably still need a couple caveats in our show notes. I'm sure. I feel like it's necessary for us to have some caveats. Um, You know, we are are talking about... um, We're talking about a big statement that Jesus made um, about himself this week. And, and I'm excited about that. We're looking at John chapter 10. Um, we're going to also, you know, jump into chapter nine a little bit too, and that's going to be fun. So how about we do what we always do and we set up some context for this? Yeah, sure. So this is, uh, this John 10 happens about, again, the midpoint of Jesus' ministry. It seems like every episode we're recording, we, we say that (laughs) everything happened at the midpoint. Um, and to a degree, a lot did. It started out slow, of course, the beginning, and then it sped up, and then it uh, drives toward the cross. But this this happens around the middle of his three-year ministry. But really what's significant about John 10 is you have to study it in light of John 9. And, and this is true by and large, of course, as we study Scripture. John, as the other gospel writers, as all writers of Scripture, had an agenda in mind. The, the way they crafted, the way they organized their content, they're trying to lead us toward understanding something about Jesus, something about the gospel. So we see that here. John 10, you really have to rewind, as you said, Aaron, a minute ago, into John 9 and remember what's happening there. And we, we've had an episode about this recently. Yeah, jo- just a couple weeks back. John 9 is the account of the man who was born blind, who Jesus healed. And then that amazing story of, of people talking amongst themselves, asking, is this the man that was healed? Is that him? No, it can't be. And he's standing there and saying, no, it's me. It's me. And so he is taken to the Jewish leaders because this all happened on the Sabbath. And uh, so the Jewish leaders are just really having a hard time understanding how this man was healed. And yet the man who healed him did so by their estimation of violating the Sabbath. And so you have this this fascinating interchange between this man, uh, the Jewish leaders, and actually his parents who they summon uh, to ask about this man. And all along as you're following through John 9, you just see that the Jewish leaders just cannot stretch beyond their thinking. They are seeing this and they are rejecting Jesus because their preconceived notion of what the Sabbath is and what should not be done on the Sabbath trumps their ability to understand and recognize who Jesus is and the miracle before them. So the account ends with with them throwing the man who was healed out of the synagogue, out of spite. Uh, basically, he, he bests them in the conversation. So they kind of kick him out of the synagogue. And then um, Jesus starts this exchange with them at the very end of nine. And basically, they ask him, they set it up on a tee for him. They say, wait a minute, are, are you saying we're blind? Are we blind? And of course, he says, yeah, you're, you're spiritually blind. And that then leads us into John 10. 
In John 10, it's sort of a commentary on John 9, what we've just experienced, the, the blindness of the, of the Jewish leaders, their, them being stuck in their way, them preventing somebody from worshiping Jesus in their stubbornness and so forth. So that, that leads us into 10. And the first few verses, 1 through 6, we're going to be focusing mostly on 7 following, but 1 through 6 is, is where Jesus kind of offers a broad statement. If you read John, John 10, it sounds like a little bit of repetition, mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it is because John, Jesus is starting with the broad. He, he basically calls himself the gate, he calls himself a shepherd, and then he, he, he points out that the... Uh, the Jewish leaders were really kind of like strangers. He mentions these strangers that his sheep would not follow. Who are the strangers? He probably has the Jewish leaders in mind. That they, his true followers, will recognize the, the Jewish leaders for who they are, and they will not follow them. That then gets us to verse 7, where we're going to pick up, and really it's where Jesus amplifies what he just said. Awesome. And uh, speaking of verse seven, let's actually just uh, read from from verse seven through verse eighteen. And so this is what it says in the Christian Standard Bible translation. So check this out. Jesus said again, "Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture." A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, he is not the shepherd, and he doesn't own the sheep, leaves them, and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me because I lay my life lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. And then everything went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, here we see, I mean, in many ways, this is a parable. Now, we could kind of uh, debate a little bit about whether this is officially a parable, what actually defines a parable, mm-hmm. but... If it's not a parable, it, it feels like it's close to being one, where Jesus is telling this story, this, this idea of an elaborate one at that, of, of, of a shepherd and sheep, to illustrate a greater truth. And so I think as we, we look at this, as we kind of transition to the questions we would want to ask and need to ask as we're studying this, I, you know, the first thing I think that we'd want to treat is who is who? Let's get our bearings Mm-hmm. for the characters of this. Now, we know it's easy. Jesus is aligning himself with a shepherd. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Um, but who are these thieves and robbers and a hired shepherd? And I think clearly when you look at the, the thieves and robbers, they're mentioned first in eight, and then a thief is mentioned in 10, singular. And then 
uh, the hired hand a little bit later. If you look at eight, first of all, notice that he says the thieves and robbers who came before me. And so there's a little bit of a clue that Jesus may have in mind here is maybe some of the false messiahs uh, that had mm-hmm. arisen before Jesus. There, if you study uh, Jewish history, there were a number of false messiahs, individuals who claimed to be Messiah. Uh, many of them were believed by a lot of people. They were influential, but of course they were all false. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you get to the thief, the second thief and the hired hand later, it seems like that is contemporary with Jesus. So I think I would be safest here to suggest that we kind of treat this broadly, that we may see hints to these false messiahs who come before, but clearly what we're seeing here is a continuation of the contrast between Jesus and the false or the Jewish leaders who were falsely leading people away from the truth. Again, going back to chapter nine, that's what we saw happening there. So, mm-hmm. so we see here what Jesus is doing is basically he is making this, this really important contrast between those who would follow him, the good shepherd, and those who would follow the Jewish leaders, the hired hands, the thieves that were robbing their people of what they really needed. And of course, that's Jesus. I mean, even if you just go past 18 into the 19, and it, again, it's it shows you that immediately after saying all these things, the the people were divided yeah. because of it, right? And so they they had a sense of who he was talking about. And, you know, they're saying, well, some of the half of them were saying, you know, well, this guy clearly has a demon and he's from he's from the devil. And the and then the other half is is how can a de- a guy with a how can a demon do this? Exactly. This isn't the work of a demon. This is something else. This is someone else. And and again, that is that whole that's that one of those great themes that we see all through Jesus' ministry is we see him coming to divide, um, divide and unite. Um, and it's because he's trying he is there for his sheep to find him. <laughs> you know? And I, I don't know if there's a better way to say it than that. So we're just going to go with it um, using this this um, bad metaphor, <laughs> bad analogy here, um, because I'm Canadian, and so we're going to go with bad analogies and blame it and blame Canada. So sorry. <laughs> and you've got an but, apology um, in the the Canadian trifecta. Ab- absolutely, there we go. We did it. So, um, but that's but that's the thing, right? Is, is he's he's there, and I mean, he is intentionally challenge he's constantly intentionally challenging the religious leaders of the time and and ultimately what is his mo- motivation is it is it because he is he just loves to be div- divisive of course not it's because he it's because as he is saying in this passage over and over and over again these people are leading are are leading you astray they don't care they don't want what's best for you yeah, and that's why when you read through the Gospels, again, you, you kind of see two different general tones of Jesus toward individuals. Mm-hmm. The first, when he's, when he's interacting with the, the common citizen, for lack of a better word, it's more of a, a gentle, uh, patient, loving kind of disposition that we see over and over again. But then when you see him with the Jewish leaders, it does feel like he's this edgy, uh, this more, you know, combative uh, approach. And you have to ask why. 
and and it's not because he had a split personality or anything like that. Um, it's because both those entities needed to be challenged in different ways. Mm-hmm. And the leaders, because they were accountable not only for themselves, but also the people they were leading astray, as we see in this text, that's where Jesus was more blunt with them, more direct, because there's a lot more at stake here. And he, they should have known better. Uh, they were educated. They had they studied the, the the law more. They saw the old, the messianic prophecies. They should have known better. And so over and over again, that's why Jesus is a little bit more direct with them and saying, "No, no, you are blind. No, you you are a thief." And I'm, I mean, this is mild before he gets to the woes toward the Pharisees. Uh, there mm-hmm. he's even more on the nose. So. Um, so he, as you're saying, and this is not because he wanted to be Jesus the jerk. He, he always is Jesus who wants people to trust in him in repentance. And these leaders needed to repent, but they needed a wake-up call to get them to that repentance. Yeah, and, and that really leads us into the next big question that, that we should be asking when we're studying this chapter, which is, what's the big idea of this of this layered illustration that he keeps giving all throughout? So, um, you know, he talks about being the good shepherd. He talks about being the gate. He um, goes back to being the shepherd, and he warns against the hired hands and the thieves and the robbers and all of these things again and again and again. Why does he do this? Well, what he's wanting people to know is, is that he and he alone is the means of salvation, that all that anyone who comes to him comes through the gate, as it were, um, that they will be saved. Um, and he's so and he's so strong about that. He's like, no, they will be. I am going to save them. Um, there's a confidence there that comes with that, which is really encouraging for all of us. Um, that that is just so good. It's such good news. We see him talking about how he's going to give his life, how he will lay his life down. Uh, um, that other that others who are uh, the again the hired hands, the 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 thieves, the robbers, the wolf, all of these things. They're all they're all death bringers ultimately. Um, they're leading away from the gospel. They're preventing people from seeing the truth ultimately. But Jesus says, I am going to sacrifice myself for my sheep where others are going to run away. And so it's fascinating to see Jesus use like use this comparison of himself um, with a shepherd, um, which I mean, you can also draw back to Psalm 23 on as well. Um, I mean, this is one of those I am statements of Jesus's, right? And so he's saying, I am the good shepherd. In Psalm 23, it opens with, the Lord is my shepherd. And so this is just another one of his ways of saying, by the way, this is who I am. <laughs> and But it's still fascinating to see how Jesus identifies with shepherds who were not thought of particularly highly in that culture. I mean, they were they were often very dirty because they're working with animals um, all the time. Um, you know, many shepherds were actually hired hands. And so they were, they, some were of um, questionable character as well. 
Um, and and but Jesus here he aligns himself with these social with these seeming social outcasts um, with people who would be considered lowly from a um, from a reputational perspective or a social perspective, but also portrays that he would lower himself even more by um, by laying down his life and ultimately by laying down his life by dying on a cross, um, which was the most shameful kind of punishment, shameful kind of death that could have um, been issued in that time. Um, and I mean, that's that's really calling us forward to Philippians 2, where it's that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so there should be this awareness of that, that Jesus, who is the Lord, who is God, who is the good shepherd, who is our only hope, that he illustrates that he, that he shows us that he is his own, our, our only hope by saying i'm going to die in this way and that shows his care for us that shows his his love for all of his sheep and what's even better is is he says is is that it's in, even including people like you and me Brian who are not ethnically jewish we would be gentiles <laughs> by that by the standards of that day we are part of that other sheep that are talked about in verse 16 so it's it's this beautiful picture of how um from the get-go jesus was very clear that that the gospel was not just for one ethnic one people group one kind one nation or anything like that but it was for all people yeah and i think that's so important when you get to especially uh, a passage like this that is pretty full. Uh, I mean, as you were walking through it, Aaron, I mean, there's just a lot of, of word pictures in here. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to sink your teeth into. And I think um, it's really important that you always remember the big idea and then get into the weeds by all means. Um, mm-hmm. You know, roll up your sleeves, dive in. But my concern is. Sometimes if you're really putting something under the microscope, like, wait a minute, who is that hired hand? What does that mean? You know, is that, how are the Jewish leaders being like a hired hand if that's who Jesus meant? And you, you could lose focus on the bigger idea. And that mm-hmm. big idea is too important to miss, that Jesus is the only means of salvation. There is no other way. So I think it's it kind of zooming in, zooming out. Um, as you're studying a text like this, you, you ha- I would start big, zoom in, but but keep zooming out as needed and remind yourself of that. Um, in light of that, I'm going to zoom in to one other thing. It's at the very tail end where Jesus is really adamant about no one taking his life from him. Um, in, in verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down. And we have to ask, why was he so adamant? Why why is that so important that he he made sure to comment on that? And really, it's it's... It's how John ends his, his conversation here. He, he ends on that note. And I think there are two important things at, at play here. The, the first is it reminds us of Jesus' willingness to be the sacrifice for humans. It's what he just talked about. I'm the good shepherd, uh, and I'm going to lay down my life, but I'm going to choose to do this. It will not be taken from me. Um, I will not be resisting it and so forth. I will willingly, Hebrews says, with joy uh, lay down my life. Uh, for the glory of God and for the good of my sheep. And so so on one hand, it's reminding us of that. But another hand, and I think these are equally important, it reminds us that this was all according to God's sovereign plan, uh, that, that this is why he had come. 
it will not be things spinning out of control. You know, Aaron, you said earlier, you know, after 18 and verse 19, that's where things just, you know, go crazy. So it's mm-hmm. not like, it's not like, oh, Jesus had this neat plan to come and be this teacher, live until he was 80 years old and retire and so forth. No, no. The plan was always for him to lay down his life according to the sovereign plan of the Father. So this is a reminder of both of those things, that it will not be taken from him. You cannot take what is already given. And also nobody can take it because it's not theirs to take. It's his to give. It's his control, his authority, and so forth. So a really important note there as, as you wrap up that that text. And and one of the cool things that's that's in there as well that is is worth noting is note that he says, I'll lay my life down, but I'll take it up again. He's very clear. He's like, death does not have a hold on me. He, so it's it's one of those things where he's like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. Which so is it's just which is the means of that salvation. That's you know, he's exactly exactly. Exactly. It's so good. It's like, just when you start stop and think about it, it's like, man, okay, this is why I believe this stuff, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's such good news. And so um, definitely, even as you, like, if you're just, you know, we're going to talk about, about really what it is that, that like some practical guidance in just a second, but really as you're just reading this passage, I mean, just stop and think about that for a second, that it's like, this should make us really, really excited and really thankful, um, you know, particularly for, you know, naturally grumpy people like you and me <laughs> that uh, that it's like, man, this this should fill us with so much joy that this is true. I, I prefer surly, not grumpy. Well, you have the beard for surly <laughs> and I ha- and I don't. There you go. Um, so there you go. There you go. You know, so I think you, you have to have I think you have to have a solid beard for surly. I think so. But Aaron, you know, it's a really important and good tangent worth taking that we should probably take more often. And and really, as as we as we transition to kind of the uh, the guidance we can give to, to somebody walking somebody else through this, in that light, one of the things that we always have to remember is we teach from the overflow. We disciple from the overflow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if we are if we read a text like this and we are not moved, we're not ready to teach it. We're not ready to disciple somebody else. We have got to experience the fullness of the gospel when we come to the text. We, we've got to have our minds uh, revved up. We've got to have our hearts stirred. And we've got to be itching to act differently because of this. So all those three facets, our head, our heart, and our hands, have to be engaged really to do justice when we teach. And our, yeah. those who are teaching or discipling, they'll notice as well. If, if we're coming to it and we're like, yeah, this is, you know, here it is. Let's talk about it today. They're going to they're gonna recognize. But when we're truly energized by this, when we are just in awe of it, that translates as well. Absolutely. Well, and and really, in a season like like this one, um, you know, we've we've made the comment that you know we're in month four of what we what we thought was going to be a four week, um, you know, exodus from our building, um, and our offices and our normal lives, and you know, we're still recording via via technology and all these kinds of things. Um, you know, most a lot of us, you know, if we're serving in our churches. Um, you know, listening to this, I'm assuming that you're serving in some capacity. Um, otherwise, please do serve in your church in some capacity. Um, 
you know, and if you haven't found a good church, just know we'll be praying for you about that. Um, but there, there are lots of really great churches um, that that are around and do exist. Um, and so don't lose hope there. But really, that it is so important for us to to be feeding in and and doing all we can to uh, get an even greater intake of what's actually good for us in this season, um, where we, you know, where basically all of life is upside down right now, and we need we need good news. More than what we, more than what social media is going to tell us, more than what the broadcast news is going to tell us, more than what anything else is going to tell us, we need good news and we need it from God's word. And so let's let's make sure that we are are investing in that really, really heavily, um, especially now in a time when it's so easy to get dry and despondent and despairing. So, um, so that's, that's our side note, uh, of practical advice. But in light of that, here's a, here's a couple of other things. So, uh, the first one that I would, that I would certainly encourage is, is that, you know, as you're working through this passage with someone else, um, we, we need to recognize and we need to encourage others to see the, um, the all or nothing proposition of the gospel that's here. Um, we need to, that we need to turn to Jesus alone for salvation and life. There is no other way under heaven. There's no name under heaven by which men will be saved other than Jesus. That's, uh, you know, that's how explicit scripture talks about this. Um, we need to recognize that our faithful teachers, that preachers, um, writers, thinkers, even tweeters occasionally are a gift. They're a blessing to us, but the best of them only do one thing really well, which is point us to Jesus because he is the only one who can save us. Yeah. That's so important that, you know, especially if you're, if you are discipling somebody or teaching, it's really easy to fall into that trap of, of especially if, if you're decent at it and you maybe get appreciation for it, you can take the eyes off of what you just said, Aaron, and, and you can start thinking, oh, how your people are so blessed to have you. You're so important to them. You need, you know, they need you. No, no, you, you want to be a blessing to them. You, you want to be helpful, but they don't need you. They need Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a reminder to point people. And also we see it inversely. Um, how many times do we see people who just become infatuated with a teacher or somebody and it's like, okay, yeah, appreciate that person, but I want to hear you talk about Jesus more than I hear you talk about that teacher um, or that preacher, that pastor, whatever the case may be, um, that writer. So that's a really helpful point. The other thing I would say is um, notice here that in this text, we see this really good picture of love of Jesus. Uh, both in kind of a relational level and an active level. Um, what I mean by that is notice the relationship. Jesus knows his sheep. He cares for his sheep. He serves his sheep. So, so it's a little bit more of a relational, emotive level in that. But also he sacrifices for them. He serves them. His love drives him to action. And so when we study Jesus in the scripture, we always have to remember this. We, we want to understand love in its fullness. It is not just an emotion, but it's not detached from an emotion. Uh, it's both a relational 
aspect and an active aspect, and Jesus brings both to bear here. And I think that's important because it serves as a pattern for us as we're looking to love others, those that we're discipling, those whom we're teaching, um, our neighbors, uh, and so forth. The list goes on and on. As we're looking to love, we need to understand that God has called us to experience both as well, that we should have a relationship. We should have, there should be emotion. If, if, you're, if you don't love the people you're teaching, if you just see them as minds that you're there to fill up, you're missing it. You should love that group. You should love that person you're discipling, care about them deeply, enjoy them, but also it's active. It's not just, you know, talking about it and feeling something, you're serving them. And, and if, if you are listening to this and you do teach, if you are discipling, then you are doing something active. You are actively loving them, but just keeping both of those in mind. Brian, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up this conversation. So thanks for chatting about this passage with me today. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 